Hello and welcome back, lovely listener. How are you doing? Keeping well? You are obviously listening to My Surrogacy Journey, the podcast season two. We're back for another incredible episode and you are going to really enjoy this one. Yes, you are. Hello, you. I'm Michael. Where's his better half, also known as the funnier one? Oh, God. <laughs> Whatever. We're back in the studio and thank you for downloading us again. Have you subscribed yet? No? Well, come on, make sure you do. And if you're new here, welcome. If you're not and you loved season one, then you're in for a treat today, starting with this particular episode. Season two has been in the making for almost a year and we're so excited to be back recording this just for you. We even got a sponsor this season, Geddes. Tell us more, Michael. Of course. Hearts on Essex Fertility Centre was established in 1989 with an outstanding track record and have created over 7,000 babies as a result of their care over the last 34 years. Hearts on Essex Fertility Centre is a leading surrogacy clinic and was awarded Surrogacy Fertility Clinic of the Year in 2018 and more recently in 2022. It's lovely to be in the studio with you and you have the pleasure of both Michael and I and our guests, which is set to be a really insightful episode that can affect us all. It's a really interesting topic and we're going to be talking about workplace rights when it comes to fertility treatment. Did you know that in a recent 2020 survey by Fertility Matters at Work, they found that of those surveyed, 72% of people said their employer did not have a fertility policy in place? It's just shocking. Do not fear, though. We have a dream team battling to change this for you. And I can't wait for you to hear all about this incredible trio. We're joined in the studio by Claire Ingle and Becky Cairns, both co-founders of Fertility Matters at Work. Sadly, Natalie Silverman who I call the potty queen, uh, and the final founder can't be with us today, but I'm sure she's going to be listening and looking over those glasses. Those of you who know Natalie will know exactly what I mean. <laughs> Hello, ladies, and Hello. welcome to the studio. Hello. Thank you for having us. You are more than welcome. I know we interact a lot, but it's so nice to have you in person because we always have so much fun, but there's always so much more in person. And I think it's just going to be a really, really exciting episode and a topic that is really not covered out there and one that I think affects mainly everyone uh, who's on a surrogacy journey or a fertility journey. Yeah. So why don't we start at the beginning for our lovely listener and tell us a little bit more about Fertility Matters at Work and everything else behind it. Right. So I'm Becky Kearns, just to introduce myself first. Um, so I was a HR professional, hence working in this space now, and I know Claire is as well. Uh, Fertility Matters at Work was founded, well, the concept came about just before lockdown. So back in 2020, when we all met in a pub in the middle of the Peak District, and we sat there with loads of post-it notes on the table saying, this is what we want to do, this is what we want to achieve. And then obviously COVID happened, which slowed us down. But we used that time to do some research. So we put a survey out there, we were able to gather some insights. And one of those stats is from that research that we put out in 2020. And then we had the data to back up what we wanted to do. So we launched in 2021 in November with our training package. So we started off with e-learning, we've developed, we've now got a huge knowledge hub. We do so many different events for organisations. We bring it to life effectively. Um, but what we really have done as well is kind of delve into that surrogacy element, which is that 
almost that step further. It's a bit more complex. And that's where Claire's come in with her expertise and knowledge. Thanks, Thank Becky. You. Thank you. Um, so Claire Ingle um, from Fertility Matters at Work here with Becky today. And it's really nice to see you two in person as well. I love I love spending time with you guys. So yeah, Fertility Matters at Work, just this concept that we noticed a gap really, didn't we? And we knew there was a conversation to be had there. And we just seized that opportunity. And it's absolutely just roller coasted. I think, mm-hmm. is yeah. the word. Um, Post-COVID, I don't know what's happened. It's just exploded, this conversation. Mm-hmm. A lot of people want to hear about it. A lot of people have got it on their radars, which is absolutely amazing because we did this because we wanted to create a different story for people compared to our own stories, which weren't that great, really. Yeah. And that seems to be the thing, doesn't it? It's 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 everyone's lived experience. And what yeah. could we do to mm. improve this path for the next people that follow? And I, and I think that's one of the reasons why we like this collaboration between My Surrogacy Journey. And yeah, and you. And, you t- and you talked there about the gap in the market because you've both had your own fertility challenges, you know, with, with creating yes. your family. So I think when we talk about lived experience and, and you, you notice in a gap in the market, was that primarily because of the gaps that you found with your own experiences? Yeah, I think so. And I think we noticed a gap from the support from a personal experience point of view, but we yeah. also noticed it from a professional experience. So mm-hmm. we're both HR professionals. And we, we always say that between us, we've got over 35 years of HR experience and neither of us had ever had anybody come to us to say, I'm going through fertility treatment. What support can I have? It's not because it wasn't happening. You're looking at it through two lenses, aren't you? You're looking at it through your own personal and how you were impacted by your own employer's Mm. uh, workplace, you know, entitlement, but also from a HR professional. I never really looked at it like that before. And, you know, I think Michael and I have really watched you guys develop massively. A bit like us in terms of the curve of how your business has grown and how you're really putting a lot of information out there to help people understand. But again, not just the people going through it but the professional supporting the people going through it yeah it's a two-centered approach isn't it because being in HR it's it's really hard though to talk about those experiences because my own personal experience you kind of can't wear both hats when you're in a situation like that you have to take one off because my priority was around me yeah. as an employee and not me as a HR professional it was only later down the line I say this a lot don't I Becky that mm. It was like a light bulb moment for me that thought, God, there's a massive gap there. What what just happened? But it didn't. It was literally when my daughter was five months old. So that was quite a significant time into the journey, so to speak, that I just thought, wait a minute. It, when I was in it, I can honestly say I wasn't going, what about other people and what about this? and what yeah. There wasn't because it was too overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. totally. And that, and that's totally fine, fine to be in it that way because it's, mm. it's personal then. Yeah. And, and that's when some of these issues come to light more. Yeah. I do think though that that was a real understatement there though, Claire. This is not a gap. This is a cavern. Yeah. This is like, <laughs> this is like the Good canyon, word, Wes. It? it is. As we, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more uh, further down in the episode, but as we've been, and as I know you've been speaking to our intended parents, the amount of stuff that's come out already, you, you're just kind of lifting the lid on some of Absolutely. these issues. And I think it only goes to kind of reinforce that this support is so needed. Yeah, and sure. that gap you talked about is massively Huge. there. And just the fact that how many of our members would have just struggled through. Mm. And some of them... Some of still these, are. Yeah, they still yeah, are. They, they really are. And But if 
this collaboration didn't exist, this would be much harder. Some of these people now have children. Yes. Still having to battle what this is like. And we wouldn't have been able to offer this support because like you said, guys, gap in the market, this now exists because you made it exist, you know, and Mm -hmm. having that approach where it kind of encompasses everything around family forming. I think there are are some other organisations out there that just do a little bit of it. It's very Mm -hmm. much like that for uh, my surrogacy journey. You know, there are other organisations like us that just do a little bit of it, whereas you encompass everything. Thing yeah. to support yeah. every type of family forming. Yeah, one of our biggest bugbears is when this is talked about as just a f- solely female issue and oh. it's a women's issue. And we're like, no, it's a people issue. I feel that's where we, we really different. do try and, and be inclusive of everybody on their path to parenthood. We know how different every path can be, how complex it can be. And I think just going back to what you said, Claire, about you didn't realise till afterwards. I spent the whole time when I was going through this thinking I was overreacting, that there was something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And I remember my manager talking to me about resilience and let's put resilience into your personal development plan. And I thought that was because I wasn't being resilient enough. When actually I realised now I was going through such a difficult, traumatic time. You couldn't have been more resilient. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's changing that narrative, not just in the workplace, but in society as well. There's like a whole... yeah, feeds into the workplace, doesn't yeah. it? This whole uh, kind of understanding that it's, or maybe it's a, it's a lifestyle choice you're just But I also yeah. think that you know, if there are some HR professionals out there listening, you know. Mm. This can also help them because you just talked then about resilience and how, if I'm being honest, mm. your your HR professional maybe was maybe was a little bit patronising about that, and, and that's not what you want to hear at that point. Mm. You want to understand how they can support you yeah. without, be, but also understanding the journey you, you're on yeah. and the impact it's having on you. And I think the work that you ladies are going to be doing or are doing already, hopefully, is going to help more people who are in the position to be able to help uh, their employees understand what they can do. And I know that the work you do is about going into business and telling them, this is how you Mm -hmm. can support your employee. Mm -hmm. This is what this looks like. This is the language you should use. These are all of the elements that you can do to support, you know, your broad range, whether it's adoption, fostering, co-parenting, you know, surrogacy, fertility challenge, anything can, you can help them understand how they can better build support. policy. Yeah. yeah. And that's basically what our collaboration is with you. It's it's making yeah. sure that all of our members that that come through on a journey with my surrogacy journey have access to you. Let's talk about fertility rights then in the workplace. That topic, Claire Ingle, <laughs> I'm looking at you. I know, I can see. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've really noticed the dial shift and a lot of that has been driven by you lot with with you know you are everywhere on social media, which is brilliant. <laughs> Every time I turn on the television, one of you is on BBC Breakfast. Not me, Mike. <laughs> but it's, it's great to for us to watch this journey because there are no other people that I would love to to see this journey unfold the way it is. So what is driving this focus of people focusing on fertility? I think, and I, I genuinely believe this, and thank you for saying about the work we're doing, but I think we're all driving it. These conversations are here at the front and centre of a lot of workplaces and a lot of media at the minute. They weren't in existence in 2016-17 when Becky and I, and maybe a little bit earlier when Natalie was going through her fertility journey. And there just seems to have been this massive explosion of social media accounts, people talking about it. And I think for something that's been around for quite a significant period of time, people have suddenly started going, I'm going to talk about this because this is important and this is affecting me. And it's just gently come to the surface, but just exploded. And I think that workplaces are starting to go, oh, 
right, this is a thing and this is going to affect my staff and my employees. Just like mental health from 10 years ago, we talk about this all the time, don't we, Becky, that there's a trajectory that we're following. This entire conversation is following. Mental health was there first, potentially. Menopause was behind it. This is absolutely coming up the rear fast and furious mm-hmm. to, to be um, in those conversations in the work. And, mm-hmm. you know, we know Parliament's got hold of it. We know there's a private a members bill going through to campaign for statutory paid time off for people going through fertility treatment. And there's a lot of legislative changes, including in surrogacy space. So we know that people are campaigning. So I think it's voices. I think it is just generally that yeah. a lot of voices are coming mm-hmm. together. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It was mentioned in the Law Commission's final draft about giving more support for, you know, the employee and the employer to ensure that they recognise mm-hmm. these elements of it. It's really interesting, actually, both of you, because I speak to a lot of people really early in their journey. And I think particularly on an international journey and they're making decisions about the route that they choose because of the you know like the amount of time in country or things like that now uh, when i talked to them about their entitlement they didn't even know it happened moment so so for me if people are finding out earlier about what their entitlement are and how they can how that can be facilitated on their journey they're going to be making different decisions for sure and probably better ones for them absolutely better decisions absolutely better decisions yeah no. It's really, it's really important, and 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 it's comforting to see that these conversations are now being had because we we've all been waving this flag for a while because yeah. we've mm-hmm. we've been impacted by you know, poor support or 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 people not understanding what we're going through, and now the fact that that light bulb moment has happened, we're seeing more and more people ultimately get the support they deserve. If a member's listening. What can they expect? A member from... will be listening, of course. They're listening. <laughs> I'm talking about like, is one listener. So it's like, if it's a member that's listening. Yeah, no, they're listening. Time. They're listening. God, I'm going to swing for him. <laughs> uh, what can a member expect from the member benefit that they get through my surrogacy journey through you guys? So I will predominantly speak to them about any challenges they have in the workplace. We do an introduction call, which usually lasts up to an hour. I've got to say at this point, though, the people I've met, via my surrogacy journey so far. I've been absolutely amazing. I said to you in the corridor, didn't I, Wes? I'm just so warmed by their stories and they just really uh, just got this different um, approach to creating their own family because of what you have enabled them to do. So I want to recognise that because that makes me feel really proud of you guys. And actually then I come in and I can have those conversations with them to say, you know, what's going on? What challenges are you finding? We talk about maybe policies. A lot of the stuff we talk about is around uh, inclusivity and language within their policy. So I think I've spoken to you, Wes, quite a few times about this there's a lot of stuff which is still the basic statutory entitlement which I'm seeing when people are talking to me and there needs to be more than that it's not just about putting an adoption leave policy in place this is about a culture and a conversation yeah yeah. And I think sometimes because the, the actual policy is references adoption, some people then who are doing a surrogacy journey don't often think, feel that that applies they don't, to them. don't necessarily connect to it. No, they, they don't see it. And I think I think some sometimes some people have done their research, but I think sometimes people are just totally green and don't understand what to do, where to do it. And I think also some of our, what I hear from some of our member feedback is that they're scared too. They don't want to push because they're so grateful to be at this point. They don't want to rock the boat or cause any problems in the workplace. And that's one of the things that I think we need to address. Yeah. And I think it's, again, it's one of the nervousness around when we've been in that situation. We're one of the few 
employees that have to set out our stall that we want children before all of our colleagues. Yeah. And that's a real vulnerable space yeah. to be at. You know, we're saying, yeah, we're trying for a baby or what's your fertility policy? We hear that a lot. And I think one of the big stats that we've seen in Pregnant and Screwed actually released a, a study recently with the similar findings that less than half feel comfortable to speak to their employer about it because you are effectively saying, I'm intending to have a baby and that's going to mean some kind of leave in the future. I mean, personally, my own experience, I was literally starting a brand new job when I found out I was going through fertility treatment. And so I had to have a conversation because I didn't have that trust element built up to be able to go, I'm coming in late this morning to cover it with anything else. And it was a terrifying conversation to have because I had no idea how they were going to react. And I think that's it. A lot of the time, it's the uncertainty that stops people in being able to have these conversations. But I also think, particularly with surrogacy, where it's a more complex path, you've always got to be prepared to educate. Yes. And that can be draining. Yep. You're navigating this yourself. Then you've got to try and navigate your employer through it as well. And that's huge, especially when it's, you're feeling really vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So that's what we try and do as well. Mm-hmm. We try and help people to have that conversation. But just to raise that awareness level as well about the impact it can have, it's not just a few appointments. It's this physical impact, there's emotional impact and financial impact as well. And then you put that in the context of the workplace, you realise how important someone's job is to them when financially they're going through a huge journey as well and they're having to put everything in. So. You can see why people are so vul- feel so vulnerable when they're having these conversations. And there's still so much work to do. I don't think we're there yet. I think I there's don't a lot think, to I do. think you're absolutely right. We're nowhere near there no. yet. And you, one of the points you just made when you were just talking then is like you had to nav- help your employer navigate through. You shouldn't have to yeah. Yeah. help your employer navigate through. The employer should be helping you navigate yeah. through their processes and helping support them. And, and let's acknowledge here that I think... When we look at our membership split, you know, between heterosexual couples versus same-sex couples, I think I'm not saying that either have it any easier, but I think that for sometimes for our same-sex couples, the policies aren't necessarily made for them. Correct. And they often feel that they don't fit in anywhere to the policies. They're not validated and they're not validated. And they're not validated and they they can't see any policy that represents them. And I think that's often uh, a real challenge as well. I think that's virtually 100% of the same-sex couples I've spoken to um, via my surrogacy journey, whereas to be fair, that it's the same thing. It's the forms don't match yeah. what I need. They don't ask for things. They they indicate mother and father. They talk about matching certificates. They talk about when you adopt your baby. You're not adopting a baby. It's your really baby. I know <laughs> I, I'm with I'm with Mike now with this because every conversation, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of repeating myself. Every call I have with the IPs, it's the same conversation all the time. It's It doesn't change. The, yeah. And it's making me really angry, Saturday, because <laughs> I'm, I'm just sat here thinking, oh my God, we've got to do something about this because it is a problem. We, we've, we've known it it's is. a problem, but it's all about how do we, it's such a big hill to climb isn't it for yeah. industry generally yeah. to change their the way that they operate and the way that they it's, approach family building particularly for same sex it's but, that heteronormative language yes it? you're right is that and, assumption and it isn't actually do you know i need to say this i, I know i can't um, talk about specific organizations on this podcast but there are big worldwide organizations i've Global. spoken to mm. yeah and i am i am shocked if i'm being really honest mm-hmm. that some of these people are coming to me saying this is my policy and this is what and i'm just like are you joking me 
you know, front leading in their industry. You wouldn't expect it. No, absolutely not. And I'm just thinking flipping it. And, and you know that you said it's it's not a gap. This I just think sometimes, my God, this is is this possible in the next 10 years, really? It, it's We're that gonna, challenging. We, we absolutely <laughs> are going to make it possible. That's one of our missions is absolutely. that we, we see the inequality. We see the gaps, Kevin. Uh, we see the challenges that, that, that impacts then onto our members. And yeah. again, like Michael and I have this philosophy, it's just not fair. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not fair. That's how it's I not feel. right. And we are we are gonna change. It's gonna take a bit of time, but we'll together do we'll do it. Uh we can collectively make a difference. And I know from speaking to my members after the call, it's been really positive. They really feel oh, appreciated. They value it. But I also think that, you know, some of them they don't want to pursue it because mm-hmm. they ultimately yeah. they it's their employment, you know. Yeah. We we that. we have a bigger piece of ambition and um objective to, to change it, but it has to be when people are ready to do it. I want to talk about that, if, if you don't mind a minute, Wes. I think that there will be a time, so the people that are experiencing this now won't potentially be at that organisation or those organisations forever. They will move and they will look back and they'll go, right, now's the time. So I think there's going to be, again, an explosion of people going, that wasn't right and I'm going to talk about it now because I no longer work there. Totally, and that's not acceptable. And that's what, what we see from fertility benefits in the workplace is that, Policy is something that people look for now, yeah. particularly Gen Z. You know, fertility mm. policies are something that people look for just like annual leave entitlement. You yeah. know, do you have yeah. this type of policy or benefit? And yeah. people aren't going to put up with it for much longer. No. And we always talk about policy and guidance being like the core. That's your foundation. That's your base. And we think about like the employee support pathway that you should have in place well the first place you're going to go to is to see if anything's written down aren't you and that's your first indication does my organization recognize my journey and that's why we're always talking to employers about you've got to use inclusive language you need to make sure you're mentioning all of these different paths to parenthood it's got to be accessible as well so we don't want to have to hunt through a maternity policy to find a one line about fertility treatment and sometimes it just refers to IVF, doesn't it? So there's so much work to be done to get to a point of people being able to confidently go, I'm using this policy, Mm -hmm. go to your employer, this is what I want and this is what I need. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think people feel guilty for almost asking for Mm -hmm. this support when actually we think about it in the long term, supporting your employee through this not only helps them through this difficult time, you will retain them, you'll have their loyalty, they'll talk about their positive experiences. There's so much more Mm -hmm. around this. It's not Yeah, it's it's a win-win, isn't it? It's an absolute win-win. It's a a retention tool, isn't it? It really will. Given how tough it is now to retain good people, particularly in certain industries. Absolutely. Now, Claire, I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask this question anyway, is there, are there any kind of uh, industries that are more market leading in this field than than others? Oh, around surrogacy or fertility? Just in terms of fertility and, and benefits? I'm looking at Becky. We've cause... got a real cross sector, really, but I would probably say um, the legal industry have probably been a little bit further ahead. Yes. And we've just yeah. seen that in particularly sort of London legal firms. And, and I'd say that Natalie Sutherland has been a driver around yeah, that with has, the gro- cross industry yes, event that she held and raised yeah. awareness and, and almost got other organisations on the back of that. They were the first organisation, Burgess Me, to become fertility friendly, accredited. So we've seen an uptake within that industry, but we, it's, it has been quite varied. Hasn't From it? a global point of view, now I know we've had conversations before, but like what I see in terms of them being more retention, like positive mm-hmm. and wanting to retain people is the big tech companies. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that. But then conversely, I'd say some of those aren't great 
the inclusivity bit either. So I, I was chatting to somebody this morning about this whole rainbow alliance and rainbow flag for this month that actually sometimes these are just words for companies to are. wave around in it's the month of washing. June. And it just really, that irritates me. I'm like, don't say it, do it as well. You know, yeah. deeds, not words. That's a big thing for me. And it just really frustrates me. I'm like, you know, make get to the core and understand what is... Yeah helping your employees and what makes a difference to them. Because that's what we're talking about. And we know, like I've just mentioned about the productivity. I I have a really great line manager in work. I will do absolutely anything that she asks me to because she's invested in me and she supports me. And likewise, that's that's a psychological contract that's been um, investigated and talked about in the field of HR for years now. And it's so simple, but people forget that basic Mm -hmm. premise. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, a bit frustrating. I think just going back to what you said about fertility benefits, and there's there are two different things here, and we don't necessarily say that every organisation should have to offer fertility benefits. That can scare organisations off because they think there's a huge cost, yeah. although it can be amazing to know that your organisation can support you financially. And I think there are some big firms that are going, we offer this, we we can offer this, we can pay for this. But if that support isn't there on that day-to-day level, and the culture doesn't encourage you to be able to even have a conversation about mm. it, then how do you mm-hmm. navigate that on a day-to-day basis? So I kind of what we do is that that core is that we empower managers to be able to support, we empower employees to be able to access that support. And then anything else you can offer to support people beyond that is amazing. We work with Ferring Pharmaceuticals who have done some amazing work. They have this um building families at Ferring project and they have offered the most incredible unlimited fertility benefits for their employees. Unlimited amount. As well as that, they also have an amazing policy. They're training their managers. They are doing awareness raising sessions. So they've got everything else. It goes all the way through. Bringing it to life. It's the core of their organisation. They're joining up the dots and kind of thinking, right, okay, what else do they need? So, you know, as an employee, and that would make me want to stay at that organisation. It would make me want to work there. there. Or go there. It would. It would. It would. So if someone is wondering what their actual entitlement is for as you know as an employee just generally what's the what's the statutory how how would we explain what what their entitlement is That's really easy Wes. there isn't really any entitlements as such um that's what we're campaigning for um through parliament at the minute there isn't, this is about best practice. So ACAS give best practice guidelines about um, appointments for fertility, the same as you would any other medical appointment. It's a bit of a, you know, cop out that I think because some people go, I'm ignoring that because it's not in a legal stance that I have to do it. Um, but equally, we see a lot of people, I don't want to paint a, a doom and gloom picture about all this. Most of the stuff we hear about is quite negative, but there are some really shining stars out there that have great managers, great organisations, great culture that just get it. And they go and they, they may have been through the journey themselves or they may just be really compassionate. I think that's a key word for when we have discussions with organisations about just show some compassion mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. kindness and understanding. and Just go, if that were me, how would I feel and how would I want to be treated? Like with anything, with bereavement, with, you know, divorce. You know, there's a, there's a whole kind of thing in the HR field about supporting people through divorce. Now, these are all life events mm-hmm. which need help. That you know, they, they shouldn't have something specific for fertility or something specific for divorce or something specific for bereavement. It, sh- it should all be about having that open dialogue with your employer that says, "I need help. What can you do to help me?" And, and that's it. It's really that simple, isn't it? Just like with the fertility benefits, I think often when you talk about number of days, paid leave, it, that can scare organisations yeah. as well, especially small organisations who think, how can I afford this? And what we don't go out there and advocate for a certain number. We say, like, be flexible. And, and actually, 
An organisation saying they can give five days paid leave, it doesn't have to be five full days. If you can split that down into hours, you can enable someone to go to their appointments that they need to, but also be really aware that it's not just the person who physically needs to go to that appointment, it's partners as well, where there's a partner, it's intended parents wanting to attend appointments with their surrogate. It's all-encompassing and I think it's been really really clear when you're talking about that but it doesn't have to cost an organization a fortune she will pay back in terms of that Mm. engagement that retention but I think organizations do get scared if we write it down then everyone's going to be taking all this time off but it's so bonkers it's like uh, is it who is it google have unlimited um holiday leave and they they I think they put in a paper recently that hardly anyone takes the mick with it and I was like there you go because you're given that autonomy people have gone all right then I can have what I want so I'm I'm not going to take the mick really and actually you know it's that trust that psychological contract that trust yeah Yeah. so ladies I've heard lots about a white paper here why don't you tell us a little bit more about that survey so yeah we wrote a white paper a year ago now I believe and that was combining the results of our survey um we've done numerous surveys now um with that of Manchester Metropolitan University who did a big study into complex fertility journeys in the workplace and there's not much research done in the workplace at the moment and I know you're Um, trying to change that we are so we're hoping we're, we're just waiting for the okay but we're hoping to do a big research study later on this year but I'd say the main findings from that study that I think really stand out and that employers really need to know about are obviously we've talked about the lack of policy but also um, almost 70% of people go off sick whilst going through fertility treatment think about that as a cost to the business Mm -hmm. unplanned sickness absence is much more difficult to manage than planned flexible working so that's another reason to bring in a policy Um, the other stat that always really stands out to me is 36% of people considered leaving their jobs as a result of going through treatment. So, and again, that's huge. Mm. If you think about you're losing people, going back to the sickness absence statistic, the anecdotally, the reason that was so high is because people wanted to hide the fact that they were yeah. going through this from their employers. So how best to do that? Well, I'll just take a chunk of time off sick and then mm. they won't know. That's what so, I did. That's, what, that's what I did. Yeah, I did exactly that because I didn't want to disclose where I was and what I was doing and I just couldn't cope with it. And that's so common. Yeah. And these are, well, these feel to me really easy fixes. You know, but it's just yeah. about understanding what the employer needs and, I think and the employee I'm, needs. I think there's a bit of a, we always talk about it as being a bit of a vicious cycle, really. So organisations think there isn't a problem because nobody's talking about it. But nobody feels comfortable to talk about it because the organisation doesn't recognise it's a problem. So it's like this vicious circle. So that's what we're trying to open up and say, this is a problem, one in six people. But when we do talk to organisations... Yeah, like we we do launch webinars, don't we? And then literally, it's like floodgates open. Everyone goes, "Oh, this is happening to me. This is happening to me. This is happening." And they're just like, "Oh my god, is this actually really happening?" Yeah, it's like a domino effect. And I think the most powerful thing that we do is our, our webinars, where we, or, or even in person events, where we invite people internally onto the panel to share their experiences. So we set the scene, say, "This is the issue. This is how it impacts people." But then people just talk about how it's been for them in their own organization and there's sometimes there's some tears and it but it's so powerful and that is like the domino effect people then go i feel comfortable to talk about this but one of the things we really want to do is make sure because this topic is so vast you can't cover it in one one hour webinar that's why we have our series of webinars where we then bring like to life the lgbt family building experience and people who go down the alternative paths to parenthood childlessness as well which again is an even more taboo topic in the workplace Mm -hmm. and it's it's all about breaking down the shame around this but also 
I think the real challenge is getting those who need to listen to it to get, engage with it, not just those that have been through it. I think mm. that's one of the things mm. that we're finding. But when we have, I mean, we did um, a webinar with a leading supermarket and one lady contacted us on the back of it to say her manager was on that webinar and had come back to her and apologised for the way he had treated her and realised that wow. he could have done it differently. So that's the power that it yeah. can have. Um, but it, it's, it's a big uphill battle because there's is. so much to be done. It just makes you want to do so much more, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. I mean, mine, yeah. Mine's racing. I, I can I see it. I can see it, Wes, from in, here. In. We have enough to do, Wes. We'll, we'll, we'll manage this as well. So let's look at what's that appetite for change like then? When people see the survey and they see the stats, what are businesses saying when they actually read that. So as with anything else, um, there's those who immediately are there going, right, got it. Let's let's get involved. I totally see the value in this. There's the people that are a bit later at adopting it and just think, oh, I need a, to know a little bit more information. And then there's those who potentially won't ever get there. And do you know what? That's absolutely fine. We talk incessantly about these. How do we get these people on board? And actually, you can't just change the world in, in one go. So we're okay with the people who are at the forefront of it because they're seeing um, a return on investment from actually investing in the conversation. Um, from a surrogacy perspective, and I need to say this, I think the majority of organisations are still probably about five years behind. Uh, and you know that, you know that. And I know that from the conversations I have with the IPs that I, I get in, put in contact with. And, you know, the fertility conversation is probably here and then surrogacy's back here, but they are actually conjoined they're, they're together do you totally. know what i mean well they they're, could be well, they and they should be one they are they should really. be yes but it's, they're not they're not and, and you know, that's to do with a lot with employment legislation that you know i was at the event with the legal update and i asked the question about um you know what about employment and i thought the man's head was going to wobble off because he's like we've got enough to do with changing the the um, technicalities around the law, but you know that's a big gap for me. That mm -hmm. you can't you can't do all this change because everyone complains to me. Everybody without fail says, "Why is it called adoption leave when I'm not adopting?" And that for me is a massive thing that we could have changed. Just change the word. Really straightforward. It seems it. It does seem it, but I, yeah. you know, public sector probably a bit and more it, difficult. And it all feeds from um, employment rights act doesn't it yes. that, that's where yeah. all yes, of the terminology pulls from so i think what the law commission one of the recommendations was for for all of this to flow through that the change has to then come from that policy to yeah. to then flow down but we know that you know we know from from st statistics can't say that word um that you know triple amount of people uh getting parental orders we know that the need for surrogacy is great uh, getting larger and larger at an alarming rate and I just think the employment law bit is going to be left in the in the background and actually it needs to hurry up people. and catch up mm -hmm. yeah. because, you know, there's there's only going to be so much people can take and just go, no, actually, I'm not adopting because these are the conversations I have with the IPs. I get told I'm adopting and people think adoption is in its traditional mm -hmm. sense that I'm going to have a baby that's not mine or, or, or a child that's four or five or six or seven or eight, you know, and a little bit older, not having my own Biological child, child, biological child, yeah. Oh, my mind. Organisations can make these changes. They aren't relying on legislation. No, of course are they? They, they can. can. They can adopt and change their policies to make them. They fit can change the, the language, Wes, as well. Do you know what they they could say? You know, adoption. This this can apply to surrogacy arrangements. There are organisations yeah. that do do that, but you know, you, yeah. the, people just do the bare minimum. I'm finding they just go. They tick a box. They put it in a policy and go, that'll do. Mm -hmm. And it won't, it absolutely won't. Because the people I speak to, like I said before, they're saying, 
I'm not in this. This doesn't speak to me. This doesn't include me. And I'm just sat there and I'm just thinking, oh, I'm so frustrated that it doesn't. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? Because organisations have got the ability. They can't fix somebody's fertility situation, but they can make it a hell of a lot easier. It's lifting that burden. Mm -hmm. It's one less thing to have to worry about Mm -hmm. that we recognise, even though we recognise that legally it's this adoption leave, we recognise and we understand there's this a different pathway and people yeah. need this for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a nice segue would be if we've got a HR leader listening and they, you know, their ears are, have, have pricked up now and they're thinking what more could they do to become a fertility friendly employer, which is one of the things that you offer. Tell us a bit more, Becky. So we have a CPD accredited accreditation. That's a lot. I know it's a lot accredited. Um, <laughs> And what we look for is that full cultural shift. So when we're not wanting organisations to tick a box and move on, it's about how do you create that change and make it live and breathe within the organisation. So first thing is have an appropriate, accessible policy that is inclusive of all. Then it's having awareness raising events. So how do you make that conversation live and breathe? It's about educating managers. So are managers comfortable in having these sensitive conversations and it doesn't mean that managers have to know everything but it's equipping them with the tools that they may need but it's also about signposting as well signposting to external organizations such as yourselves or um, psychological support so if you've got an employee assistance program does that cater for people who are going through a difficult fertility journey? Is it inclusive of everybody's path? So we try and join up the dots with mm-hmm. Parenthood in Mind, for example, which are a specialist perinatal psychologist who specialise in these types of journeys. And so you can either speak to a generic counsellor or you can speak to someone who really gets it, who understands, and that can make such a difference as well. So we just want to have this holistic approach that organisations have that it's not just a piece of paper that's gathering dust. It's something that lives and breathes within the organisation. I think the final thing is internal support networks as well. Lots of big organisations have these employee resource groups. Mm -hmm. So we often talk to these employee resource groups because it's often them that come to us (laughs) to talk about what can we do for our organisation. And it's usually the women's network that approaches us. (laughs) And we start and we go, yeah, we can do these amazing things. Have you thought about the impact on men? No, but that that could really engage a lot of people. Have you thought about the LGBTQ plus community? Oh, no. But actually, you need to get all of these different employee resource groups together. Because they all want to have family. (laughs) And they all have separate budgets as well, but actually come together. (laughs) And you could do something that impacts all of your people, not just one section. So I think it's thinking about it in different ways. But is there going to, can there be an internal support network, peer-to-peer support network for fertility? So, you know, you can go, we've got organisations doing fertility cafes that happen regularly um, and it just gives them a chance to go and meet someone else who gets it, which as we all know, can make a huge Massive difference. difference. Mm-hmm. So. If you could give three pieces of advice to our listener embarking on treatment and they're nervous to speak to their employer, how would they approach it? I'll tell you the first one, get a consultation with you guys <laughs> yeah <laughs> do i have I mean, to say that that's not on my list um, <laughs> i would say so the first one is be prepared don't go into it unprepared we've got lots of resources on our website as well that are free to download which gives you an idea of so say for example you're going through ivf or you're having to support someone go through ivf you, you there's a downloadable diagram of what's involved and all the different appointments i'd also say make sure that you book a dedicated time don't just do it at the water cooler like (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
make sure you've got that time with your manager. And and I think as well, be prepared to get emotional because this is something that's very close to all of our hearts and that's okay. I think showing them what it means to you is not a bad thing in a way. I think people often worry about having that conversation and think, well, I'm going to cry, I'm going to get upset. That's and actually, okay. that's okay. Yeah, you hmm. need to show them that. But be prepared to educate. Yeah, I think I think one for me is we know that disclosure can be really difficult because we've both Mm-hmm. been in that situation no matter what your situation everyone's situation's different and we also know that the biggest question we get asked is should I tell my employer and this is all around how psychologically safe you feel so we can't advise on that because we're not in the organization we don't know the culture we don't know line managers and we know that we get a lot of feedback saying I had a really good line manager that's great for that standalone situation but if your line manager then moves or leaves you need to make sure that the culture around you is going to hold you up as well. So, you know, this is a personal choice, but but actually you know better than anyone and you know in your guts if it's going to go well or if it isn't. So I know that's a bit of a wishy-washy kind of thing to think about, but people ask us yeah. and they want a, can, do we do it or not? And we can't answer that. And I think also go in with an idea of what would help you. So don't expect yeah. them to come up with the solutions yeah, for the you. Answers, yeah. Say, this is the support I need. This is what I'd like from you. Yeah, and because be sometimes they might that. not have thought about what support looks like. Yeah. But if yeah. you can tell them, support looks like this to me. Is yeah. this something so, you can help So help with? me with my, can, can you help me direct my work on my out of office to somebody else? Can somebody pick up something? Can somebody do this meeting for me? Can somebody uh, meet that client? There are little things. I had a thing around, I spent ages on my out of office message. I still remember this from years ago, thinking what we're going to write. And in the end, I just wrote, I'm out of the office because I, I felt like I had to justify myself to why I wasn't in work. And, and I wouldn't have done that if I was going on leave or if I was having a wisdom tooth out or something. I wouldn't have thought about it that much. Yeah. So, yeah. And Becky, you mentioned the resource that's on your website. Would you just tell the listener what your website details are? Yes. yes. So our website is www.fertilitymattersatwork.com and there's free downloads on there. Um, also, we're always talking about these things on social media as well. So you can follow us mainly, I'd say, LinkedIn or Instagram at Fertility Matters at Work. Yeah. I wanted to throw a question at you guys, oh, if that's okay. okay. <laughs> just, I'm just really interested. And I, I'm thinking of the future and what we can change. And obviously, we're trying to change a lot at the moment. But thinking about surrogates and egg donors, we're talking about people like intended parents or people going through the fertility struggle. Do you often find that they say work is a challenge in them becoming either a surrogate or an egg donor? Because I wonder whether that stops people in putting themselves forward for those. Yeah, I I definitely think it's a consideration. And, you know, just just on the record there, you know, we offer this benefit for, for, you know, you guys talking to to all our members. So if you're an egg donor IP or a surrogate, you get you get the same level of access because, you know, if if you're employed and you need the support, no matter, you know, what part you play in this journey, Mm -hmm. you you still get that access. We know that the other surrogacy organisations don't offer this benefit. So I think it would be a massive incentive for women and people that want to be a surrogate or an egg donor to have this level of support because mm-hmm. it, it, it is a barrier. Yeah. Of course it is. And time off work. Of course yeah. it is. But how do they then tell their yeah. employer? Yeah, that we know they're, that's they're doing it for someone else. They're doing it for someone else. Yeah. And how does the employer understand that? And then does the employer assume that they don't get the full, you know, because it's their choice. Because right? you know, there's, there's oh, it's that word again, of, Mike. Yeah, exactly. Because that, that's because we hear it, don't we? Yeah. We hear that yeah. oh, so this is this is your choice that you're you're doing this. And and there's an element when someone is being a surrogate or an egg donor in 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 that path, but also this this person is going through fertility treatment. Mm, it's of no course, difference. exactly. It's no different. Yeah, I just wanted to mention it because it was just going through my head and thinking. I don't think we've focused on that element 
as much as we could do. I, I think I, there's work to be done. And I think this evolution mm. here, you know, this is this is about how do we, mm. you know, continue to grow with each other? How yeah. do we continue to support yeah. and build on what we've identified as a, as a challenge and needs improving? <laughs> uh, how do we do that? And there, there's there's lots more work to be done. You know, you guys are doing great work with trying to get the data. Because I think data drives change. And yeah, if we don't have we're that big data, on that. Then, 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 you know, how are we going to mm. prove to people that this is happening? Or, you know, those stats are big. And yeah. until you know what that number looks like, they're not necessarily impactful are they no. and that's a small part of the population whereas i think if we did a really big study it, it would be more yeah. powerful yeah. that's what we're hoping to do later on this year i think another stat i just want to pull out and it wasn't from our research it was from working with an organization it was zurich we we did an external um campaign with them last fertility week in in november and they had done some internal research they'd launched a policy and they were talking about it publicly and they had on the back of that piece of PR, they had a 25% uplift in visits to their recruitment page and an 11% uh, uplift okay. in applications. So yeah. And they said to us that seemed to be a direct result yeah. of this. So it, it's a really important, yeah. um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a recruitment and a retention tool. It is, absolutely. But when you're talking with organisations specifically, if they've got budgets and... The question yeah. is, what's the return on investment? So, Claire, I know if a member is listening or someone who isn't a member is listening and that their, their, their real focus is, what are they entitled to? So once their baby's born or getting ready for the birth of their baby, mm -hmm. what does that entitlement look like and what should an employer, you know, comply with? Okay, so you'll have a primary adopter and a secondary adopter. I think I've made that up, but a secondary adopter. So primary adopter is entitled to adoption leave and that comprises of 26 um, weeks normal or, or adoptive leave and then additional adoptive leave of 26 weeks. It matches what we have for maternity in this country, so totalling 52. And the other adopter is entitled to paternity leave of statutory, which is two weeks. Obviously, policies in separate organisations may yeah, enhance that. Okay, so you'd have to check your own policies. And I'm and I'm am I right here that the intended parents can split the leave and share it? Yeah, so that's another complicated um element called shared parental leave. Um I will signpost to the gov.uk website to get all the detail on that because it can be quite complicated and you can share leave and you can dip in and out of it and there are restrictions and criteria you have to follow to actually get that but i think it's just great to know that and, and i think a lot of people just don't realize that that leave exists because yeah. they are because they're they're not you know giving birth they're using surrogacy that there mm -hmm. is a, a policy out there that their employer has it's to, equal yeah. it's equal to maternity leave yeah and it's all on the gov.uk right website there, yes I'm using CHR professionals <laughs> guiding me to use the right oh, language it's okay but i think it's important isn't it that employers are really hot on this because they need to know it's legal entitlements and i think wasn't there one you spoke to where they the employer said they had to share their leave yes. with their surrogate? It was a set of I, oh it was a set of IPs come that came through you, and this person was told that they had to share the maternity leave with the surrogate. And I actually sat on my laptop speaking to them, saying, "Can you say that again, please?" I was just like, "Who?" And you know, if you're going to guess at stuff, just just guess you know just just say i don't or just say i don't know I, i'll check for you people who guess yeah. things and, and they shouldn't do when it comes to employment no, legislation yeah. that's a bit naughty yeah yeah and let's talk about the surrogate here so what's the entitlement for the surrogate just, so the surrogate just, maternity just, just standard maternity leave so they're entitled to all their maternity provision that the law sets out so 26 weeks and then the 26 weeks additional so 52 weeks in total if they wish to take it 
and there's no correlation to the intended parents. Absolutely none at all. Independent leave. Independent leave. Independent leave. Very clear to put that point across. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies, it is always a pleasure. And you leave, I always, just getting together, one, one it terrifies me because my head's now thinking, what else can we tackle? (laughs) And I know this one next to me, my husband will be, you know, thinking, right, let's do this. But generally, the work you do is, it's inspirational. Uh, We love the partnership that we have. I'm gutted that Natalie wasn't here. Hi, Natalie. Um, (laughs) Shout out to Nat. Miss you, Nat. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming into the studio today. It was, was, this was fab. And I hope this episode is one of your favourites too. Yes. Amazing. Thank you, ladies. We always love having you here. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I knew this was going to be a fun episode. Natalie, you were really missed. We really did miss seeing your face. Seriously, though, ladies, what incredible work. I just love how their personal journeys have shaped this. It's it's a movement, isn't it? And it's just got more people talking about not only fertility treatment in the workplace, but also challenging their employer to just do the right thing. Yeah, one of the big takeaways for me, one of the things that stood out during the whole session was you know, the stats and how yeah. powerful they are and mm-hmm. how impactful they are. I, I just think people are going to be blown away by the size of those stats. I, I couldn't agree more. I could talk to them all day and just hearing that that passion, that determination, what they're going to do. Um, anyways, don't forget, if you need your podcast fix, we're back every Monday, proudly sponsored by Hearts and Essex Fertility Centre, one of the top performing fertility clinics in the UK and with some of the best success rates in the east of England. If you want to find more about My Surrogacy Journey, then please head over to our website, which is www.mysurrogacyjourney.com or find us on Instagram at official My Surrogacy Journey. If you like this episode, then please subscribe to the series and we will have another episode coming out weekly. Thanks for listening. We have been your My Surrogacy Journey podcast hosts. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.